You guys know our series is Christ, Culture, and Sexuality. We spent a couple of weeks in here already, and I hope that uh, the truth that we've been studying has penetrated your minds and your hearts and your thinking. This is a topic that is very, very relevant today. We know that it is easy for even those in the church and those who have been chosen, those who have been set apart by Christ, to be deceived. Paul's warning was to the congregation. His warning was to the church that they not be taken captive by or deluded by philosophies or human ideas. Today we're going to talk about a movement that seems to be sweeping large parts of the Western world. It's called transgenderism. Are you familiar with it? You would pretty much have to uh, be completely disconnected not to have had some exposure to it. We've talked about LGBTQIA++, that, the alphabet, uh, and, and the movement that is behind that. And we tend to think of it as an organized movement, but it's not. Uh, they are different components. They have different ideologies. They have different philosophies. There are what one guy called intramural disagreements and arguments about that. And, and, and we may look at some of that next week when we talk about impact. But T stands out, the LGB, that's lesbian, gay, bi, and then you have transgender, and then you have queer, and then it goes on, um, and people identify as non-binary and other things. The T really is unique in that it really, in many ways, negates or stands against what the other components of that alphabet soup or that overarching philosophy stand for. So let's talk specifically a little bit about transgenderism, what it is. If you're like me, the first real exposure you had to this was when Bruce Jenner, the Olympic decathlon athlete, later became Caitlyn Jenner. Are you familiar? Um, and then there was Ellen Page. Again, there have been some high-profile celebrities. Ellen Page was an actor. At age 20, she was the fourth youngest nominee for the Academy Award for Best Actress. She changed her name to Elliot Page and was featured on the cover of Time magazine. In the accompanying article, and this was in 2021, in the accompanying article, she described herself as queer and non-binary. By the way, somebody asked me last week, what in the world does non-binary mean? Binary is male, female, in this context, male, female. Non-binary is I'm neither male nor female or part male and part female. And it, it, it is not limiting yourself to simply male and female. In that same article, she said that from childhood she had felt like a boy, that she wanted to be a boy. And so she said her pronouns from this point forward were now he and they. There was a spread in that, by the way, in which she showed off the um, surgery that she had to give her the appearance physiologically of a boy. Some of you, of course, have heard about William Thomas, a swimmer at the University of Pennsylvania. Swam on the men's swim team for three years and then transitioned into a woman, joined the women's swim team as a, as a junior. Later in the junior season, he hit the news when swimming as a woman, he won the 2022 NCAA Division I Women's 500 Freestyle Event. You guys familiar with this? You may have heard of it when Ron DeSantis issued a proclamation declaring him second place, or declaring the second place winner, Emma Wayant, the rightful winner of the race. And by the way, she's very much in the news nowadays uh, with the NCAA. That's an implication that we might make slight reference to, but that's not our subject today. 
And then, of course, unless, un, unless you've been completely disconnected from the news, there's Dylan Mulvaney, a transgender spokesperson for Bud Light. You can ask Bud Light how that went. Target and other retailers who set up Pride Month displays and faced face significant social backlash. And there are other retailers as well. These are just the ones that were most predominantly in the news. There have been a lot of states who have been working on legislation to protect minors from um, inappropriate treatment regarding gender dysphoria. And California Governor Gavin Newsom, who in response, two states pursuing that legislation, preventing life-altering sex treatments to minors, set up California as a refuge state for minors wanting sex change treatment. He signed a bill into law saying you can come here and anyone who prevents you from receiving this kind of treatment will be breaking the law. And that includes everything from puberty blockers, hormone therapy, as well as sex reassignment surgery. And then, of course, you guys remember, it wasn't too long ago, North Carolina was arguing about who could go to the bathroom where. And, of course, the requirement in some cases, certainly in some educational institutions as well as in some government institutions, that a person has to be called by their chosen pronouns. Um, and you guys, of course, are, are very familiar with that. And while we're alone, and there's so much more, I can't imagine somebody coming up to my dad and asking him to define what a woman is. Actually, I can. Uh, the response would not be flattering. It seemed not long ago to be something that was just self-evident. And while we're alarmed, we're not surprised at the normalization and mainstreaming of gay and lesbian relationships, the redefinition of gender and the atrocities that have been on the news covering the, I say atrocities, that's maybe too harsh a word, but the, the uh, uh, immorality, flagrant immorality that's been on TV when these news stations have covered the activities of Pride Month in different cities. Now, again, not surprised. Paul warned us, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-4, through 4, and other passages, many others, but this is a familiar one. Understand this, he says, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self. Sound like today? Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, and without self-control. They'll be brutal not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And while we may think, well, it's never been this bad, I want you to remember what Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. And that there have been times in the history of the world where there has been excessive debauchery and public affirmation of such debauchery. I do believe, as Paul wrote to Timothy, that we are living in the last days and that there is nothing that is preventing the Lord's re return. We're not waiting on anything. The Lord could come at any time. Amen? So that should give us some awareness. That should give us some urgency. And so this, this week and next week has a twofold purpose. And I, I want to be clear here. First of all, I want to make sure we know truth, that we're right in our thinking, that we're not taken captive by the philosophies of this age. It is so easy. It is so easy. It, uh, our ladies' Bible study just went through recently, before Job, they went through First and Second Corinthians. And in First Corinthians chapter 5, you have a whole congregation worshiping God and yet giving tacit approval or apathy or at least not condemnation to a couple 
in the church that was engaged in open, open um, sexual immorality, a man sleeping with his father's wife, and everybody knew it, no one addressed it. It is so easy for us to just be apathetic or to be affirming or to say, well, you know, some of this stuff just really doesn't matter that much. We need to know what truth is and what to believe. Would you agree with that statement? But also, we need to be able to communicate. We need to be able to talk with people who are dealing with these issues. These, this is not San Francisco and New York and other places. Greenville, South Carolina, in many of your families and in many of the people that you engage with all the time, there are people who have questions about these things, real questions and really struggling with these things in family and in extended family. And for us to just sit there and say, that's just bad, don't do that, that's not an apologetic. That's not an argument. That doesn't do anything to rescue. It does only to condemn. And we need to be truthful, but we need to be truthful with the mindset that God has given us as believers a mission here. His mission. We continue His work in the world. We need to remember that our goal is rescue. Our goal is lives transformed and changed. So I'm going to give you four points of framework. This is a framework to understand and to engage specifically on the topic of transgender ideology, but also for anyone who is bought into this philosophy and empty deceit of, of today. We'll start this week and continue next week. And I want to give you the four points. I gave you all four points in your worship guide, no surprises. But I want you to know we're only getting through the first two if the Lord blesses us. Otherwise, we might just get through the first one. But we'll go as far as we can the first question is a question of authority. You understand that we need to determine. When you're talking to someone, you need to decide. And when you hear stuff, you need to understand that you have to determine who you're going to listen to. Who are you going to believe? The reason why is there is a false narrative. There is a, a wrong thinking, an idea that is having a, a far-reaching impact. It is what, uh, what the New Testament calls a philosophy of the world or of the age. And it is important for us to understand. And it goes like this because it's very appealing and it's very popular. The first thing that comes up in this is the oppression of the past. We need to go back a few slides there. The oppression of the past in the past, ancient cultures surrounded sex and all sorts of, with all sorts of taboos. And in general, sex outside of marriage was forbidden as a means of controlling women, as an expression of power, and to help men protect their daughters and wives as their property. Again, this is the narrative. The narrative also says that there must be, for human flourishing, authentic expression. In modern times, we've come to believe in the freedom and rights of individuals, including the right to love whoever you choose in a consensual relationship. Doesn't matter who or what, as long as there's consent. Science has shown us that sex is a healthy thing and a crucial part of one's identity. It is also a human right, and therefore we will only thrive and flourish as human beings if that right to choose is equally available, and I would say also affirmed by all people. And then, of course, the next part of this narrative, it builds upon the other, one upon the next. The fight to love whom we want to love. Over the last century, a number of brave individuals, usually women, gay, and transgender persons, have historic, or heroically stood up to the oppressive culture and said, this is who I am. Don't let anyone tell you, you can, who you can or cannot love. And many of the heroes of this earlier movement were marginalized and were persecuted. 
for their willingness to challenge cultural mores. The hard one rights of today, again, a theme that you have heard this month if you've been in any way exposed to the, the, the news. Today we have a culture that affirms the right to have sex outside of marriage, to conduct same-sex relationships, and to include them in the legal institution of marriage, and to allow people to choose their own genders. In all these changes, we are forging the first human society in history, which is sex positive, in which all persons can live together as equal sexual beings. And, of course, the last part of the narrative, today's narrative, is that the fight's not over. There's a continual danger. Uh, there will be those who will seek to combat this philosophy. They still resist the healthy culture of sexual freedom and justice and those who would try to turn back the clock and roll back these rights. And so we've got to entrench ourselves and not take any steps backwards. Does that sound at all familiar to you? You may be at least to some extent exposed to the stories that are out there. But if that is what you believe as truth, then Christians have to be the enemy. We have to be perceived as the enemy because we don't perceive that as truth. This modern fairy tale about sexuality creates a plot line of a struggle between the courageous heroes and the bigoted, oppressive villains. And it leads to seismic shifts in what our society believes. And it affects, by the way, politics. It affects policies. It affects education. It affects every aspect of life, employment. Here are a few things that we're seeing right now. I want to show you some of these seismic shifts. It wasn't too long ago, and I'll get to this more in a moment, that a person who said, I am a woman in a man's body or a man in a woman's body, that was identified as a gender identity disorder. Now they've renamed that to gender dysphoria, and they're trying to figure out a way to make the insurance companies cover it without calling it an illness. In the past, there was treatment. Today's treatment is simply affirmation. In the past, gender was a biological reality. Today, they say, gender is assigned at birth. In the past, a person's identity was found primarily in duties, relationships with God, family, and community. Today, we have this identity, or a person's identity is found in feelings and desires alone. And there was a traditional culture in which sex was reserved for a husband and a wife in a covenant with the main purpose being procreation. And the contemporary mindset is love is love, so any consensual sex is part of expressing my identity whether it's promiscuous, whether it's with anybody at any time. Now, I want you to understand that, that that is, to a great extent, the philosophy of the age. And this is a simplified, condensed version. I will tell you, as I've studied this, I started studying this for an apologetics conference several months ago. I've been about six months in this study. And a lot of times it almost feels like you're going down the rabbit hole. I don't want to take you there with me. But I want you to give at least, I want to give at least a, 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 a surface level, a summary idea of what's going on in the world and the philosophies that we're facing. Because we're talking about authority. Who do you believe? Who's, who's the authority for today's age for those who are not following Christ? I will tell you this philosophy is being authenticated largely by the medical community. Some of the doctors, psychological and medical of our day, I want to be clear only some, even though, listen to me, if you listen to the news, it's like, oh, no, we have the consensus. We have the consensus. 
Uh, a recent study came out in Britain. It was dated 11-2022, and it said, here's the news. Nobody agrees. A significant portion of the medical and psychological uh, psych, yeah, community, doctors, do not believe in sex reassignment procedures, whether it be puberty blockers, hormone treatments, or sex reassignment surgery, as beneficial to the patient. And yet, the leaders of these organizations that set policy and define terms are pushing them. And I want you to understand that. There is much debate and disagreement among these medical professionals, no consensus, but the leadership of these organizations are in the forefront of this, and I want to give you some evidence that they are. The DSM, does that mean anything to anybody? The DSM is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Fascinating reading, by the way. I would encourage you to read it. It is the handbook that's used by health care professionals in the United States and much of the world as an authoritative guide to the diagnosis of mental disorders. We're on DSM-5. Historically, transsexual and transsexualism or gender dysphoria was identified as experiencing a gender identity disorder, a type of sexual perversion classification. And then in 1957, or as early as, John William Money advocated the concept of dividing physiological uh, sex with uh, gender gen and gender identity. And after that, the disparity between anatomical sex and gender identity was referred to as the psychopathological condition of gender identity disorder. And this was used for its diagnostic name when it was introduced in DSM-3 in 1980 and in DSM-4, now in DSM-5. They have changed the name to gender dysphoria. And the idea here is that a gender is resigned, or a, the word assigned gender replaces the word sex. Don't go to sleep on me yet. It's important. To include only a medical designation of people who have suffered due to the gender disparity, thereby respecting the concept of transgender and accepting the diversity in the role of gender. This indicates that transgender issues are at a massive turning point and have already begun to transition and transition in the mindset of psychiatrists, psychologists, politicians, and society. It runs down. And so what has happened is there was a time when a person could be 6 years old, 12 years old, 14 years old, 18 years old, and say, something's not right. I, I have a, a, a female's body, but I feel like a man. Or, I have a man's body, and this was predominantly the way it was in the past. This has changed. I have a man's body, but I feel like a woman. I feel feminine. I think I would be a better fit as a woman. And when they presented, when there were these kind of situations and thinking, the mindset of the day was, your body's your body, and that's the reality. And so we want to help you Accept the reality and understand the reality. I'm talking about just secular. I'm not talking about biblical counseling. In biblical counseling, we come to them and say, listen, you are wonderfully made. God designed you and he created you and he wants you to be complete and content in him. But even in secular society, it was corrective. It was, you have biology, let's correct your wrong thinking, your mental disorder, the, the, the philosophies that are wrong and fix those. Today, now, it's changed to affirmation. Now, the, the idea is no longer correction. It is simple affirmation, testimony, 
I read this week of a young lady, 12 years old, who was confused and depressed, and she wasn't being accepted among friends at school. She had most, all of her friends were guys, and so she wanted to fit in with the guys, and she told her mom and dad, I think I'm a guy, or I think I should be, I'm more, I tend to be more masculine than feminine, I like guy clothes, I play ball, sports, I work on cars, I just identify more with things that guys do. And so they took her to a counselor, a psychiatrist, or a psychologist. And that psychologist simply, at 12 years old now, told her, listen, the reason you're depressed and the reason you're frustrated is because you're really a guy inside. And the sooner you transition, the sooner you'll find happiness and contentment. And her parents, desiring the best for her, I want you to know her parents were not malicious, desiring the best for her, changed her pronouns, allowed her to cut her hair, changed her clothes, put her on puberty blockers. This happened in the state of Texas. This is one of the issue, one of the, the, the circumstances that's taking place there that will soon be litigated. Put her on puberty blockers, ultimately at the age of 18 years old, allowing her to go through a physiological change, sex reassignment surgery. And at 23-year-old, she says, why didn't they stop me? Why didn't they tell me it was just teenage angst? By the way, these stories will break your heart. It matters. But let me give you a a brief history of treatment. April the 26th, 2021, in an open letter to the National Governors Association. By the way, many of these states, Texas, Tennessee, others, are approving legislation to prevent that kind of intrusive treatment to minors. The AMA sent them a letter that, uh, that said those efforts to prevent that are a dangerous intrusion into the practice of medicine. In a letter to the National Governors Association, the AMA cited evidence that trans and non-binary gender identities are normal variations of human identity and expression and that foregoing gender-affirming care can have tragic health consequences, both physical, <laughs> sorry, mental and physical. Did you know that as little as 10 years ago, gender dysphoria was a phrase used by psychologists and psychiatrists in an attempt to understand what was going on with people who were experiencing some kind of gender discordant identity, some kind of internal idea that it doesn't fit. And it described a set of mistaken beliefs that an individual might might hold that he might be something other than his biological sex. Back in the 1960s, this is not new, John Hopkins opened a gender identity clinic. Did you know the first one was opened in 1960 at John Hopkins? There was a man there, a doctor, uh, who, uh, and they started doing sex reassignment surgeries. They thought that the appropriate response was to try to change someone's body to fit their thinking. It wasn't their thinking that was wrong, it was their physiology. The leader of that department was Dr. Paul McHugh, the chair of psychiatry at Johns Hopkins Hospital Medical School, and he asked one of his con colleagues to do a study on the patients who had gone through sexual reassignment surgeries. What they found was that while by and large they were happy with the surgery as a cosmetic matter, they really didn't show any signs of improvement in their psychosocial outcomes or their psychology or their mental struggles. The struggles that they had with anxiety or depression or suicide ideation persisted and in many cases, increased. So Dr. McHugh, he's still alive today. He's still at John Hopkins. He no longer advocates for sex reassignment surgery. But in, back in 1979, he shut down the sex reassignment clinic at John Hopkins. 
He said that it was misdirection of medicine and that there were people who were coming to Hopkins with a psychosocial struggle and they were trying to treat it with surgery directed at the body. And what he said was it'd be much better to have the therapy directed at the mind and the emotions. His question was, how can we help people align their thoughts and feelings with reality, including the reality of their bodies, rather than trying to realign their body to mistaken thoughts and feelings? His statement was, we are turning medicine upside down. Did you know that that was the first gender identity clinic in the United States in the 1960s? It was shut down in the 1970s. In the 1980s, there were no gender identity clinics. Today, there are more than 18 gender identity clinics in the United States, primarily working with minors. I don't know how deep to go down in this. I want you to be aware of what's going on. There is an extreme pressure on any in the medical field who feel differently than this idea of the age, that affirmation is the only way to go. Even medical professions, professionals that think putting a five-year-old boy on a course of gender transition or a 10-year-old on puberty-blocking drugs or an 18-year-old having top surgery or bottom surgery is wrong and untested, experimental, and dangerous. And th there are many who do, but they can't speak up. Because their license will be taken away from them. They will be fired from their jobs. They will be demoted. There is an intense pressure against them from speaking up. Again, the contemporary approach is affirmation. There are several states where conversion therapy, you guys know what conversion therapy is? It's where you have someone who identifies or does this and then you say, you convert them. You can, I won't go into all of that. It became very popular in, the, in LGBTQ counseling or LGB counseling. The contemporary approach is affirmation. There are several states where conversion therapy, helping a boy who feels uncomfortable being a boy actually identify as a boy, could lose his medical license. In all 50 states, if you're a medical professional who helps a boy transition to a girl, that's not called conversion. You see the ridiculousness of this. That's called affirmation. The contemporary phrase is often used your, sex, your child's sex was misassigned at birth, and we can reassign it later in life through hormone treatment and through surgery. So why are we talking about this? The philosophy of this day, age is you are what you feel, and you should be affirmed in your feelings. And Satan is pervasive, and there's a narrative out there that says, I want to, you'll hear the phrase, Human flourishing repeated. Human flourishing, we want you to be full. We want you to be filled. We want you to, to live life to its fullest. And for you to flourish, then whatever you feel like inside, that you've got to be given all the rights and privilege to just pursue that without any idea or understanding of consequences. And it's being affirmed by people who are in highly respected positions. But we need to understand that there is a truth. There is an eternal truth. And we need to know who we're going to believe. We've already addressed this, but we need to be rock solid here. There is one God, only one, and he is the creator. And you can know him, and he has revealed himself in creation. Just look around. This blows my mind. I have a, a, a friend that, uh, that I have spent some time with in conversation, and this friend is always taking pictures of sunrises and sunsets and trees and scenes, and they're always talking about how beautiful it is and how great the world is, and they're an atheist. 
have no belief in God, believe strictly in evolution, don't believe in a creator at all. And I think, how can you look around and not be aware that there is someone behind this, that God has revealed himself in creation? He's revealed himself in his word, the Bible. And I would love to take time to go into this study, but we're not going to take time right now. But I want you to know that the Bible is true, that all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God, the child of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. That even the Old Testament, the no prophecy of Scripture came from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We are so many evidences of the truth of the Bible, not only its claims and not only its unity, amazing unity, over 40 authors, over 1,500 years, 66 books, one central theme, one central truth running through them, and the miracle of predictive prophecy. I am the Lord, this is my name. I will not share my glory with anyone else or the praise due me with idols. Look, my earlier predictive oracles have come to pass. Now I announce new events. Before they begin to occur, I reveal them to you, Isaiah 42, verses 8 and 9. There's so much, and so, and I would encourage you to, I'd love to have the conversation with you about the veracity of Scripture, and there are a dozen people in this room who can take you through an understanding of the truth of Scripture but God has revealed himself to creation. He's revealed himself through his word, and he's revealed himself through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have authority. It's a question of identity then. Who am I? How does that answer the question of who I am? And the question of identity is a difficult question. You guys, are y'all with me? Are we okay to go a little bit here? There was a time in the past, and again, we're talking about not long ago, where your identity was determined by your family, the family you were born in, the community that you were part of, that you fulfilled responsibility and duty fulfilling your role in the community. For instance, it wasn't that long ago that you could say, hey, who are you? I'm a farmer. My dad's a farmer. My family are farmers. I'm raised on a farm. I work the land. I take care of livestock. I feed people. This is my role. I'm comfortable here. Or I'm a doctor. I've been exposed to medicine. I have genuine concern for people. This is a, I have a responsibility and a privilege to help heal people and to help people, come alongside of people. Or I'm a merchant. My role is to provide goods that people need. Or even more basically, in my case, what my dad used to tell us growing up, son, don't you ever forget your price and that matters. Identified by your family name. Identified by your community, your family your duty, your responsibility. Today, that's radically changed. Identity is more found through what is called by many expressive individualism. Expressive individualism simply says that identity is found through desires and feelings that must be expressed to become who you really are. But there's a big problem with that. Surely you see it. Do your feelings ever change? Do your feelings ever change? Do your kids' feelings ever change? The modern self is extremely fragile. It's based on nothing but inward feelings. It's constantly changing, sometimes year to year, sometimes month to month. Modern identity requires searching through always shifting and often contradictory emotions 
and desires to determine who you really are inside. And once you decide who you want to be, it's completely up to you to achieve it. Expressive individualism says, I don't need your affirmation. And yet our culture says, no, you have to affirm me. There's a, phys- a, a, a philosophical conflict ongoing that's held in tension all the time. And you hear it all the time. Be yourself. You do you. Find yourself. Be true to yourself. Follow your heart. Do you, do you hear this repeated over and over So at nine years old, a boy struggling with his relationships decides he's a girl. His family, wanting him to be happy, affirmed this. Social changes. They change his clothes, and they allow him to dress and and appear as a young girl instead of a boy. They they change his pronouns, and then they put him on puberty blockers and then surgery. And then at 20 or 23, he comes to realize how wrong he was originally. Listen, folks, both of these sources of identity fall short. We sometimes forget the basics. Now we've gotten to the sermon. You ready? There is a God. There's only one. And he's our creator. He's designed us. Genesis chapter 1 to chapter 2 says he reached down and picked up dirt and made man. And then he put man to sleep and he took his rib and he created women. Binary male and female. He created them. And it was good. And there is intrinsic value simply being made in the image of God, simply being loved by God, simply having an author and a creator who is almighty God. And not only did he create the the prototype, he created you. He, He knew you in the womb. He knew you at conception. He designed you. He gave you the body that you have. You formed me in my inward parts, the Jews would sing. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Not just generally, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Here's what I want you to understand. Human life has value. It has value because of our creator. It has value because it's ascribed value given to us by God, and yet it is marred value. Sin came into the world, and sin is propagated. You understand that there's this sinfulness. Adam's and yours have separated you from God. Now, here's where the world makes its claim. You are your sin. I'm gay. Therefore, for me to be fulfilled, that's my identity. I'll find peace when I live into it and when I'm affirmed in it. I'm lesbian. That's my identity. It's who I am. It's who I was born to be. I'm non-binary. I might have started out male or female, but now it's just whatever. Or I'm trans. I began this way, and now I'm something else. And it's just who I am. And because that is my identity, for me to have a fulfilled life or experience human flourishing, I must be allowed and affirmed in it. And that's a lie. Your sin is never your identity. Your sin is never your identity. You are not hopelessly a liar. You are not hopelessly a thief. You are not hopelessly an adulterer or sexually immoral. You were created in order that you might know God and you might give glory to Him. Yes, there is sin that you 
display through sins. Yes, there is a condition of sin that is lived out through the choices that we make and the rebellion that we live in, and they have separated us from God. But he did something amazing. He made Jesus come to earth, incarnate, God in the flesh, who knew no sin. He made him to become sin. That means all of the penalty and all the punishment and all the guilt and all the dirt and all the anxiety, all the depression, all that stuff was placed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Our sin upon him. He made him who knew no sin to become sin for one reason. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. That we can be restored. That we can be reconciled. You want human flourishing? Human flourishing comes when we acknowledge that there's a God. We acknowledge that we're in rebellion against him. And we stop being in rebellion. We repent, we yield, and we surrender. Listen, there is hope. What is the framework when you're talking to someone who is struggling? By the way, did you know that kids who identify as trans have a 44% more likelihood of suicide than kids who do not? Did you know that? 44% more likely chance of suicide. And the thinking of the day is, and you can see this everywhere, it blows my mind, is it's because of Christians and others who won't affirm them in their sin. And can I tell you, that is, that is not sustainable. That's a lie that you can clearly demonstrate as false. It's because they are struggling with guilt and they are struggling in the condition of rebellion against God. We come with hope, not to condemn, but to offer hope. The Bible tells us about a man who is rescued from a life of terrorism. Actually, terrorism against the church. Brief biography, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. Paul says, I used to be a blasphemer. I was a persecutor, an insolent opponent. I was as bad as it could be. I received mercy. God had mercy on me because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. Now, that sounds like an excuse, doesn't it? I didn't know. I didn't believe. I didn't know. You understand that Paul was fully engaged in living his best life. In doing what he thought was right to please God. In serving God. And he was clearly wrong. Clearly wrong. But the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ overflowed to Paul. With the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And he goes on. This saying is trustworthy and fully of acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then he makes this astonishing claim. And I'm the worst of them. I'm foremost. You understand that he says, I did this because I was deceived. I did this because I didn't know. I, didn't, I did this because I was separated from God by my own sin. But when God broke through, when the light came on, when I stopped listening to the God of this world and began listening to the truth, when Jesus spoke to me and I heard him, he changed me. He rescued me. We do no one favors to affirm them in their sin. Do you understand that? back again do you understand that you do no one favors to affirm them in their sin but to draw someone you demonstrate the truth in love Paul came to realize he was responsible for his sin regardless of his ignorance and he calls himself the worst of sinners we need to get below the mere surface of our actions and think not of what we do, but of who we are. Who are we? What's the identity? We are people in need of a Savior. Satan is a liar. God cannot lie. Who will you believe? Who will you believe? And so one of the things that we do when we talk to people who are struggling 
with sexual sin. By the way, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 calls it slavery. And we really need to do an exegetical study more of that passage of Scripture and of biblical sexuality. But in, in this statement, he goes on and he says in 1 Corinthians 6 that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. The sexual immoral, sexually immoral will not. Idolaters will not. Adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he comes to this glorious statement, and some of you know that firsthand because that used to be you. And such were some of you. But what happened? What's your identity? You got washed. You got cleansed and set apart. You got declared not guilty in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. You understand the, ide the ideology of transgenderism is the ultimate rebellion against God. It says, God, you don't know what you're doing, and you were wrong from the beginning, and I can fix it. It's the sin of pride. I know better than God. It is usurping the place of God. I'll be whatever I determine and feel to be. And we need to make sure that while we confront the ideology, we separate the serpent from his prey. We're here to rescue the perishing by telling the truth. And we have hope. We have life-changing hope, restoring hope. I don't know that I have adequately covered this topic. I can tell you that I brought eight pieces of paper in here, and there's about 74 in my office. But I didn't think you'd stay till Tuesday. But if you had to summarize this all down, it's simply this. Yes, I am calling out a specific sin because Scripture calls out sins specifically. And there is an ideology that is dangerous that we have to be willing to confront. Remember the battle is not with flesh and blood but with powers and principalities. Remember our mission is to be on mission for Christ, to share truth, to lovingly rescue the perishing, to care for the dying to display the love of Christ. And when people don't who know who they are, God does. He does. He shaped them in the womb. Betty has her first great-grandson just came this weekend. Saw Lynn, grandma. I guess grandma, nana, something like that. Saw pictures of that little baby. Do you know God was involved right there? From conception on. And people doubt the love of God. And we need to show them the love of God displayed on the cross for them. And people are looking for affirmation and acceptance. And they need to recognize that the people of God with arms open wide are happy to welcome them in in order that we may share truth with them. That they may experience freedom and redemption. God's in the redeeming business I'm the Lord your God. I've redeemed you. I've called you by my name. You're mine. You want a sense of belonging? Come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, heavy topics. A lot of just demographics are facts, statistics, statements. A lot of reading today. Father, there is a real, real problem in our world today. And it is families being captured and taking prisoners 
by the philosophies and ideologies of this world that have far-reaching effects beyond simply an adult who makes a choice to rebel against you, but that impacts culture and society, and frankly, that's simply a lie propagated by the devil that needs to be confronted with the truth of the gospel. May we not be lazy. May we not be apathetic. May we not be sloppy or clumsy, but be fully devoted to proclaiming the good news of Christ in every circumstance and in every situation. I thank you that we are who you say we are. We love you. In your name I pray. Amen.